Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films, like a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe we never quite enlighten you, maybe we never blow your mind, maybe we never... Stab you through a shower curtain in the bi- in the basement of a hospital, but hopefully you'll just have a good time listening. Uh, no, we would never stab you. Um, but <laughs> uh, so tonight we are kicking off our month long theme of horror at the hospital, and we're doing that with the 1982 film Visiting Hours. Now, for those of you that have seen our schedule, I just want to quickly point out we've already done Halloween too, okay? So that's why it's not on. <laughs> so that's why it's not on the list, and we're doing visiting hours instead, which got accused of being a copycat of Halloween too, which it wasn't, but it got accused of it. So. Oh, I have <laughs> thoughts on that. Okay then. Well, so so this came out in 1982. Uh, it was directed by John Claude Lord, who was a Canadian filmmaker who. Started as an AD and writer, uh, he did a film, The Vindicator, which kind of sounds like an even more <laughs> horror version of The Terminator. I've never seen it, but I really want to now. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, he finished his career doing TV movies uh, before actually passing away earlier this year, which is very sad. Hmm. Uh, the film was written by Brian Taggart, uh, who was a writer that was really interested in doing stories that kind of dive, or films that kind of dive more into the psychology of characters. You know, he was a playwright. And with film, he kind of found the opportunity to do more kind of like in-depth stuff with the character. And so he began his career writing for the Emergency TV series. Uh, He did films like The Spell of Unknown Origin, Poltergeist 3, and Omen 4. So he's had kind of an interesting career in horror as well. You know, did some not-so-great sequels, but some pretty (laughs) interesting original stuff. (laughs) Uh, and let's see, the film stars Lee Grant as Deborah. He's an Academy Award winner who first appeared in the Actors Studio series, uh, did various TV series as well as films like Voyage of the Damned, Omen 2, The Spell, The Swarm, Mulholland Drive. Uh, it also has Michael Ironside as Colt. Michael is one of my favorite actors. <laughs> I first discovered him in Scanners and went on like a huge binge <laughs> after that, just watching everything I could get my hands on of his. Uh, is he one of your man crushes? He's one of my many man crushes, yes. He's a Canadian actor who began his career in the early 70s. I can't really say if he broke out with Scanners because I wasn't alive then, but I would (laughs) say that that was definitely the film that got a lot of people's attention with him. He also did Top Gun, Prom Night 2, which is amazing. Better than the first, I say. (laughs) Uh, Watchers, which is a really good kind of underrated creature feature. Uh, Total Recall, which I think really projected him to like the big stage of the public, so it was a huge movie. Uh, Starship Troopers, and the fun thing about Michael is the way that he got this part actually was William Shatner, who I'll mention in a second, that's also in the film, 
at one point wanted to play Colt the villain. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It didn't happen, but <laughs> uh, and we can we talk about that in the spoiler section because I would kind of love to <laughs> see that version because it'd be hilarious. Okay, you're not wrong, and I agree with you. But. Like, like imagining William Shatner in this horribly misogynistic, <laughs> creepy role. It just, it'd be interesting. It'd be, be interesting. interesting. But he was originally in contention to play the villain, and apparently they had, like, one more actor they wanted to interview, which was Michael Ironside. And I guess Michael actually met the writer, uh, Brian Taggart, for, like, coffee or something. And basically during the meeting, according to Brian, Michael Ironside at one point was basically just like, I'm the guy you're looking for. Like, I am Cole. (laughs) You know? Like, he's basically like, I'm Cole. Like, he just, he was just so matter-of-fact and, like, confident about it that Brian was pretty much like, yeah, I guess you are. So. <laughs> That's a little terrifying so. in its own right. Yeah, no, Michael Ironside, great actor, brilliant. I love him. Uh, very intimidating, though. Yes. It, to me, at least. <laughs> but so that's how we got that part. Uh, let's see. The film also has Linda Pearl as Sheila. Uh, Linda was actually raised in Japan, uh, first appeared in the Secret Storm series, did lots of television, uh, and was recently on General Hospital. Uh, had a few episodes there. Let's see. And then, yes, I mentioned William <laughs> Shatner. Uh, as Gary, uh, William was born in Canada, started his career in TV, just done a ton of TV, and his core, of course is best known probably as Captain Kirk from Star Trek, <laughs> and other horror films that he was in that you can find him are, are The Devil's Reign, which is a very interesting movie, uh, American Psycho 2, which is not, <laughs> and A Christmas Horror Story, which I actually really love. I can't wait to revisit that in December, a great little Christmas horror anthology. Almost time. Almost time. And for those of you that have never seen Visiting Hours, it's basically about this reporter named Deborah, like a newscaster named Deb, who is basically like speaking out about this case that involves a woman that it's basically like a self-defense murder case where she killed her husband because he was abusing her. And Deb speaks out on how, of course, she thinks the woman was in the right (laughs) to, you know, kill her abuser that was harming her. And, uh, and basically, she attracts the attention of Colt, who is this horribly misogynistic serial killer who hates women. <laughs> and and uh, he ends up attacking her. She survives and is sent to a hospital. And then he later goes there to finish the job. So if you've never seen the film, we are going to be spoiling everything with it. Recommend checking it out before we get into it. Uh, it's not streaming that I know of, unfortunately. Uh, as far as whether or not I'd recommend it, I like this movie. I, I think it's decent. It's not one of Ironside's best. <laughs> uh, but but it's very interesting. Like, it has its problems yeah. that we'll get into, but it's a very interesting, well-done movie, I think. It just, you know, I have some problem with the pacing. Yeah, but. <laughs> it's, it's a solid movie. Whether it's worth spending money or not is kind of, I think, up to how much you like Michael Ironside. Yeah. Ba- basically, yeah. if you're digging anything that I've said already about the movie, then sure, go rent it. It's a decent movie. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if you're already turned off, then maybe not. So anyway... <laughs> Uh, so we're going to be spoiling everything, but first we have our brief little bit of spoiler-free content, so we'll let you know when we're getting into spoilers. So just as usual, tagline versus the movie, what we think of the film overall. So the tagline for Visiting Hours was, So frightening, you'll never recover. <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline, and what do you think of Visiting Hours overall? <laughs> uh, it gets points for a hospital pun. Like, of course. Yeah, it gets points for that. I like it. I don't think Halloween 2 had a hospital pun. <laughs> no, it probably did not. And look, that's. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought that up because when 
you know, I've never seen Visiting Hours before. When Matt brought this this movie up, I looked it up online. I listened to what Matt said, and I told him, "Oh, so this is going to be kind of a Halloween two knockoff." And I was looking forward to a fun little slasher, just a fun little slasher set in a hospital. This is not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be my fault. I don't remember if I misled you at all about it or not. But you didn't mislead me. But when I said, "Oh, this is going to be like Halloween two, you didn't say no. I didn't say no, so I did mislead you. Um. Yeah, no, Visiting Hours is not a quote-unquote fun slasher in no. that regard. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, I think especially if you're affected by, you know, abuse against women, which yep. I hope that you are. <laughs> not not personally, but I hope that, you know, you care. Yeah, this is very much as a, a movie that's commenting on abuse towards women um, and just you know how i don't want to say like widespread it is but how it connects to other women as well you know? it, about how widespread it is about how it's treated <laughs> mm-hmm. in america and from men you know so yeah. so there so, so, so the th- this, it's a little bit of a heavy watch sometimes yeah the, the thematics of it are very heavy mm-hmm. you know there is a rape scene like there are mm-hmm. things that and granted it's very brief and doesn't really show anything but it's still mm-hmm. hard to watch you know yeah. so so they're definitely you know it's a heavier slasher and yeah. i I would even, you know, it's difficult to call it a slasher because I wouldn't put it in those traditional kind of slasher terms. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I don't really like the word thriller, but you could <laughs> say that if you wanted to. It's a, um, it's a thriller slasher. But no, but but outside of the, <laughs> you know, well, and actually the, the interesting thing about that too is that it was really the star, uh, Lee Grant, who... She she was basically like the person that they wanted for the film, mm-hmm. or, or that Brian especially wanted, I believe. And uh, you know, according to him, it was her that pretty much injected the uh, the women's rights stuff and everything because she wanted, you know, basically if she was going to do the film, she wanted to talk about she wanted the film to talk about something important, right? Oh, that's and, fucking awesome! Right, and she wanted it to kind of talk about this. So so I don't know how much of this was already in it. Like basically, Brian had been hired to write the movie or basically hired to write a horror film uh, from the producers because they had seen this play of his and it, they basically considered it to be really twisted and funny so they thought he would make a good fit for writing a horror film and he had never really written horror like I think he said he did some when he was younger or whatever but it wasn't like his specialty or, or by any means and so, you know, he even had to ask him, like, how the hell do you write a horror film? And they're like, I don't know, just scare us every seven pages or something. So so if you watch this movie, you could probably time out that there probably is, like, a scare every seven minutes or so, because that's what he figured he had to do. But, but no, so I don't really know what the script was like before Grant really kind of injected this into it. You know, it might have just been a basic hospital slasher. I don't know. But, but yeah, she, she wanted that to be part of the message of it. And so he was like, hell yeah, and, and put all of that into it, which unfortunately is also what got this movie heavily criticized by critics. Now, now listen to this. The, it it for, was in the 80s. And... Well, well, so here's the thing is that for those of you that don't listen to critics like me, good for you. You know, like... <laughs> Like, like, have your own opinion, you know, don't always just listen to what we say, because half the time we're wrong, you know, mm-hmm. half the, you know, it's why we have so many cult movies that eventually become really successful, or, or if not successful, really popular, because critics get it wrong sometimes, you yeah. know, and maybe the movie doesn't affect them at the time the same way that it will 10 years down the line, right? And in this case, you know, this is another reason why I've never really been a huge fan of Roger Ebert, like, I respect him, you I know, don't. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I do I do respect him like as a critic and everything that he achieved and you know he's obviously like the one of the goals in a sense of like you of course want to be on that level of Roger Ebert mm-hmm. but maybe not be Roger Ebert you know mm-hmm. and, and and one of the reasons and you know Brian references a, a review from Ebert which is pretty much why I never really gave a shit about what Ebert says is because he says that Ebert after seeing this film like basically wanted Brian Hun, you know, and considered him a misogynist for the movie. And <laughs> why I, you know, Ebert had his own thing with horror films, mm-hmm. which is whatever you're allowed to not like them. But but the reason why I say, you know, you should really take anything critics say, including Ebert, with a grain of salt, is that the point of criticism and reviews is to understand the point of the movie. Yeah, he's <laughs> you know, and to under- <laughs> and, and to understand the approach of it and why you're seeing what you're seeing. And in this case, it's I, I tried to find Ebert's review. I couldn't find it. But in this case, it sounds like Ebert was basically just like, oh, this movie's mean to women, so the filmmakers must hate women. And it's like, no, bro. Yeah. The movie's all about <laughs> trying to say why we shouldn't be so violent towards women, you know? Yeah. Or, 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 like, trying to speak out for women, so... This movie shines a very bright spotlight on what women are having to deal with. Exactly. And the bullshit, so... Exactly. So, <laughs> so I want to be fair. In this case, I'm just taking Brian's side. Again, I could not find Ebert's review on this. Mm-hmm. But if that is the case, I mean, you know, come on. You, you, you completely up, misinterpreted the movie, so... So, you know, if, you're, if, you, if you love Ebert, just, you know, d- take all of our opinions with a grain of salt. Anyway, so... Where the hell was I? Uh, so, yeah, so it was Grant's idea to inject all that stuff. Uh, unfortunately, it really hurt the writer and, the, you know, and, and the movie as well. It seems like it didn't do well. I have to imagine that's partially because the theme was maybe too strong for an audience, whether they appreciated the theme or not. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I always feel like themes like that are always kind of tough for audiences to swallow sometimes. And I think especially in the 80s. Like, nowadays, L- we've got... Listen, me- listen, this movie would have killed today. It would have. Like, with a Me Too movement, all that kind of stuff, like, this is the remake we need. Let's do Visiting Hours again. Let's do I, a remake of this movie, because it's I, important. I think that's a great idea, yeah. you know? Too many too many remakes are, are are of really popular, successful movies that are already great. And look, I don't mind remakes. I love mm-hmm. seeing new approaches to stories. Yeah. But, but I do agree that remakes should be more reserved for movies like this that weren't super successful, that could, you know, play a good role in today's media. Yeah. Uh, so no, yeah, I think visiting hours would be perfect for a remake. So let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, <laughs> we're filming starts tomorrow. Um, sending your resumes. But anyway, so one thing I'll just add before we move into spoilers of the movie is so so my reason for liking not loving it that we'll get into deeper here with spoilers is that <laughs> I just think it's awfully paced. You know, <laughs> like like basically, I, I, this is a minor spoiler, but it's like you know this doesn't all happen in one night and i think when you first sit down to watch the movie you're kind of like oh this is gonna be like halloween 2 he's gonna follow her to the hospital and it's mm-hmm. gonna be like a night of terror in the hospital and no, no it's, it's like a week it, it's a week in the hospital you know <laughs> like colt is back and forth <laughs> fucking up and trying to get the job done and you know if it was written just a little bit differently it could be a comedy so <laughs> so so no i just have a little issue with the pacing that i feel like makes a 90-minute movie feel much slower than it is. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I do think it's a solid film. So, especially because of its messaging, I think, uh, you know, for 1982 in particular... That's pretty big. I, that's, it's pretty... The movie was... 
not ahead of its time because mm. we were already talking about these issues and we should have been talking about these issues, but they weren't talked about a lot. So yeah. to be to be done like that in 1982, you know, is important. So it's too bad it wasn't more successful. But true to form with this movie, we're talking about an important issue and nobody listened. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Typical it's, response. Yeah, very on point with the whole message of the movie as well. Exactly. So anyway. So we're going to get into spoilers now. So again, if you have not seen Visiting Hours, please go check it out. Not streaming. You have to rent it. Would say if it sounds interesting to you, it will be worth it. You know, it's a decent, good movie. But that being said, spoiler time. So let's just start off with the, uh, I guess, the theme of the movie since we've already kind of touched on it. Which, you know, the idea that the film, instead of just being this kind of straight up, you know, he targets Deb for a miscellaneous reason and, you know, stalking her or whatever... The fact that we do have this trial playing in the background of the woman who killed her husband because he was abusing her, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just what are your thoughts on including that and kind of having that be like this kind of major, really major subplot in the film? Well, I view it less as a subplot and more as the thesis statement of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a subplot because it's not our main plot that we're watching, but it is the main thesis yes of the movie so it's it's something that i think that is really interesting and i kind of like how they they open this whole movie with deborah interviewing the fucking the dipshit lawyer the dipshit (laughs) lawyer who should have died this is a slasher kill the misogynist dude please i I don't even need colt to kill him like if he had just been walking off stage and like a camera had fallen and smushed him like in looney tunes like i would have been great with that that would have been fine (laughs) a car could have hit him you know i i hope that some woman comes up and just like kneecaps him right just baseball bat to the knees and runs away maybe colt like pushes a big you know shelving unit or something out of a window from the hospital and it just happens to crush him because he's there for like a a remover of his because because he's there to like get a hemorrhoid looked at or something you know (laughs) (laughs) okay look the reason for those of you who haven't watched the movie the reason why we're shitting on this dude so much is you know the the facts of the case as we're presenting them in the movie is the fact that this woman was clearly abused suffered injuries that were in line with her being pushed down on a flight of stairs Mm. and the husband's fucking lawyer who he wasn't murdered he didn't die he is oh i thought he did die no he it's a really like small line in there but he didn't die but he did suffer like incredible wounds so he's like fucked up he might be in a wheelchair or something now but he's oh, not okay. dead. I thought he was dead. Okay. Well, I, I, so either either way, though, she, yeah. in self-defense, shoots her him. husband. Yeah. So she shoots him. And this fucking lawyer, when Deborah presents to him that she's clearly been abused, this fucking lawyer says that she did it to herself. Yes. Fuck <laughs> this piece of shit. But you know what? This is what really, like, sets our tone for the entire movie. It's setting our tone for this thing where this woman has been very clearly in a bad situation and all she's trying to do is defend herself so that she doesn't die and she is being painted as the villain of the piece right um but all the women are defending her but the men are all blaming her well you know and so i mean this movie did was made around a time where the woman's movement was becoming stronger right i think in the 70s we were still kind of still a little bit in that like you know, women are at the household kind of thing or whatever, and we were starting to get out of that. Just starting the bra burnings. Yeah, just starting the bra burnings. <laughs> and, 
and uh and and you know so that was a big deal at the time and and it's continued to be a big deal you know yep. because we continue having to work on this fucking issue because men suck um but <laughs> they, but but you know so so this was a big issue and i i do think that the film approaches it really well you know in a lot of different ways because which which i applaud it for because again written by a man directed by a man uh, but they do approach the issues, I think, for the most part, pretty well, because, you know, I would say, like, unfortunately, still today, that that whole opening scene captures exactly how it is. Oh, you yeah. You know, where it's like, you do have Deb kind of giving her opinion on it. And, and then, yeah, the shitty lawyer comes <laughs> in and is like, well, she probably did it to herself. And it's like, that that's a common response still for men that basically boils <laughs> down to, like, she was asking for it or... Yep. It's or, you know, or she's faking, you mm -hmm. know, like, oh, yeah, no, this woman totally put herself through, you know, just all of this horrible agony of her abuse being public mm -hmm. and has potentially ruined her life, you know, be because she was faking it. She, was <laughs> faking, she wanted attention. Yeah, it is something that we still see today very prevalent in, you know, our talks about rape culture and all of that kind of stuff. You know, it is very much, unfortunately, still ingrained in society, this concept that you know, women have to defend themselves over plain actions. Just things that they couldn't control or even like what they were wearing and not being like a trigger sort of a thing. Right. And it's all bullshit. And I think, you know, as we're talking about this episode, we are probably going to well, say a lot of shit where it's like men suck. But let's be clear, this is a society sucks. Society's built up all of this stuff oh, yeah. that we have to fight against. Yeah, no, but for sure. I, I, I want to preface that before I go <laughs> on my tirades about how much Colt sucks and the men in this film suck. <laughs> well, well, and look, and the men in the film do suck they because do. it's to emphasize the theme of the fact that you know, a lot of men suck. They like, do. like it's, you know, and and that's the thing is, I mean, the film isn't necessarily saying that men suck, but mm -hmm. it is trying by having every male character in the movie be kind of a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. It does highlight, you know, the difficulty that women live with in daily life. You know, because uh, another example is like, you know, she has her boss played by William Shatner. Mm -hmm. Who is she may or may not be sleeping with. Who she may or may not be sleeping with. We're not really clear. It's probably yeah. happening, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. And and we, you know, we get the sense from him that he's basically like, oh, well, I can't air what you just did because it won't be popular, you know? Yep. Um, and and it's, it's just another example of, like, you know, this message being silenced because, you know, in the <laughs> we didn't have this term in the 80s, and I hate this term right now because it's pretty much only used by fucking shithead conservatives mm -hmm. that don't know what they're talking about, but... You know, in the 80s, like, that segment of hers would have been called, you know, Too Woke or whatever. And and so it would it would have been popular. And we don't want to put, like, quote-unquote woke, you know, uh, talk on, on air or whatever. So Yeah, well, and not only that, but, like, I think that there's this scene when he is first reacting to how she's doing conducting this interview. And it's, it's him and two women who are running the cameras and stuff like that. And he has this response of, what is she doing? And both of the women are basically like, what she should this is the proper thing rip him a new one he's a piece of shit well, yeah i forgot i forgot exactly what the girl says but it's something like ripping him a new one you know yeah. not not in those exact words but <laughs> but they're totally for it and it's it's interesting too because like this movie is very much talking about the shit that women have to go through the fact that they have to keep ostensibly yelling about stuff trying to get people to listen to them um, but I think this movie also does a really good job. There's a conversation between Deborah and Sheila where Sheila kind of asks Deborah, like, are men afraid of you? Mm. And, you know, 
Why? Because you stick up for women's rights. And Deborah has a great response where it's not women's rights, it's humans' rights. It's just mm. human rights. That's what she's sticking up for. It's well, not necessarily a gender thing, but if we don't treat everybody with respect. Well, well to add into that, she says, I hope not. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's the thing is that, you know, I feel like um, there's definitely that segment of men that, you know, take these sort of things. It's like, oh, you just hate all men. And mm -hmm. it's like, no. No, it, I just I, don't want to be treated like shit. <laughs> exactly. You know, like like in a case like Deborah's like, no, she doesn't hate all men. You know, she doesn't want men to hate her or fear her. She just wants to be treated like an equal. So yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting, too, because like you you have all of that going on. And, you know, Gary, you know, the, the William Shatner character is supposed to be more in her corner. But to your point, he doesn't want to air the segment until she gets attacked and it's profitable for him. Yes. And, <laughs> and that's like a, a sub thing that I feel like is kind of going on that we get with this trial and we get with Deborah's stuff. And very much with the ending with all of the camera flashes that nobody cares about women's trauma until it's you know, marketable until they can profit off of it, until they can make right. sob until, stories. Until they can make the Lifetime movie based off of right. it, you know? Like, <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, mentioning him again, too, like, it, he also goes back to the sort of you brought it on yourself thing yeah. because he has the whole conversation with her where, you know, he's going, he's basically trying to describe to her, like, why this guy attacked her because <laughs> she asked, like, why me? And he basically flat out is just like, you triggered a psychopath, you know? Right. And it's like... Motherfucker, she didn't do shit. She was just right. talking about the issue. You know, it's not her fucking fault that he came after her. Like, yeah, it's that line made me want to punch him in the dick. Like William Shatner. Yeah, you definitely want to reach through and just like shringle Shatner. Like, look, he might have been really ridiculous playing the villain, but he's still decent at playing a piece of shit. So. Yeah. Not only that, I have to point out one small thing that also made me want to punch him in the fucking face. He stole her goddamn pudding cup. We were the talking best, the best part of the hospital. The food. only <laughs> thing that is edible from a hospital, especially in the eighties, is your yeah. goddamn pudding cup. And the this isn't a tiny one. This is a full-on huge Sunday size one. Yeah, it looks like a good one too. I think yeah. there's like chocolate in there somewhere. There's multiple you know? layers, <laughs> and this motherfucker stole her pudding cup. Yeah, I mean, look that for those of you that have been to the hospital, the the pudding and the Jello are the only edible things. Yeah, <laughs> everything else sucks because they just pour sugar in it. It's yeah. like it's fine, you know, but. <laughs> No, yeah, that motherfucker, I, yeah. after everything she's been through, he steals her pudding, too, on top of it. Yeah. But no, and, you know, I also noticed something, too, that was interesting because, uh, and we'll talk more about this, too, as we go on, is the idea that, you know, a, a lot of this film is focused on the fact that women's voices are kind of drowned out, right, mm -hmm. you know, and not listened to. And I found something kind of interesting. You know, you had brought it up, the sort of focus on the idea that there's, like, constantly television and radio mm -hmm. broadcasts in the background. And something that I thought was kind of interesting about that is that most of the time when those broadcasts are on, they're talking about the issue at hand. You know, they're talking about violence against women and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but it all becomes background noise. Yep. And I thought that was really interesting because – especially because a lot of it is played uh, from Colt's point of view where mm -hmm. he's, like, watching that stuff when he's with his dad or something like that. And it's all very much drowned out and, you know, just might as well be like white noise in the mm -hmm. film. And I found that fascinating because it's that also applies to the sort of idea that, you know, I feel like we get so often with especially politics right now, which is there are just that vast amount of people that are like, oh, I don't I don't do politics or I don't want to talk about <laughs> it, you know, or whatever. And it all just becomes white noise to them. Mm -hmm. Like it affects them, but they still don't pay attention. And, and I, I found that might have been kind of the intention of the movie here is that it's trying to portray how 
you know, a lot of this stuff does get drawn out and become background noise to the general public's. Yeah, I think that, um, at least for me, with all the television stuff, it's very accurate with the 1980s is when we're starting to get into TVs are much more regular in the household. We're getting much more. Oh, into yeah. The 80s was so big on media stuff and film. Right. <laughs> and like 24 hour news and stuff like that. And so I think that there's also a conversation in there about how constantly hearing all of that stuff kind of affects us or can rile us up or anything like that because the only other time that we have a news station that's not talking about you know either the trial or what's going on with deborah is the first time we go into colt's apartment and mm. that's a like psychiatrist or some self-help guru shit that's on a talk show who's talking about the lack of intimacy in society and how we've forgotten how to connect with each other, which mm. is really interesting where we're hearing this conversation about learning how to connect with other human beings in the fucking apartment of this racist, misogynistic <laughs> piece of shit who takes pictures well, of people while they're dying. Well, I mean, this, I mean, I found that interesting too because they're talking about him. Yes. And he's not listening, mm -hmm. you know, because they, they do talk about in that segment, if you, if you listen closely enough, like they are talking about the fact of, you know, sort of what could potentially be driving Colt to be the way that he is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's just completely tuning it out, you know? So, <laughs> so I did find that interesting too, in, in the sense that like we, a lot of us do that as people where we just tune, we tune out everything that would benefit us to know or learn from <laughs> yeah. just because, you know, the mere mention of it, you know, makes us angry or upset or sad or whatever. And so we just don't listen. And, you know, I, I did find that really fascinating. And it's why, too, that th this wasn't intentional with the movie. It kind of happened. The fact that we kind of get, you know, sort of these multiple storylines going on with different women. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, Taggart had originally written a script, as far as I understand, to not to mostly be about death, you know. Like, it was supposed to mo pretty much be her story, mm -hmm. and and I believe it was the Lisa character ended up becoming more involved, uh, Lisa played by Lenore Zane, because <laughs> basically, you know, the studio, I, I, think it, I think this is the way I understood it, the studio or whoever was in charge was kind of like, Oh, we like her, you know, because she's hot. <laughs> I mean, fair point. Those and, those hot pink skinny jeans. I mean, and she is beautiful and gorgeous, but um, but they liked her, and so they wanted her to be more involved with the movie, you know. And, mm -hmm. and I think that that might have been a little bit of the case with Linda Pearl as well, as you know, just kind of having more scenes with her because she was so good, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but but ultimately, I think it works for the movie having these various viewpoints because to what you said earlier about this. You know, this isn't like an isolated case. You know, this is endemic. Like, mm -hmm. this is uh, ingrained in society, this violence against women. And so it becomes almost necessary, I think, to show these multiple points of view and all of these different women being affected by cult in one way or another. Yeah. Because it just speaks to the idea, like, that isn't just Deb going through this. It's that mm -hmm. all women, you know, are at risk because mm -hmm. cult doesn't really have... Like, he has his specific target with Deb, in a mm -hmm. sense, but that target changes so often because there's no really focus on just one woman. He just yeah. hates all he of them. He hates all of them. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, and I think that it's really interesting because when you look at this movie, 
there are very few male roles, and the males don't really talk any significant lines. Well, they don't really talk, and if they do, it's to open their mouths and say stupid shit like yeah. Shatner does. <laughs> Shatner does, and the lawyer says stupid shit. Colt barely talks in this film. Mm. He is silent for most of it. So it's mostly these women, and it's not only just, like, your everyday women, but it's kind of like a peek behind the curtain that all of these women are really strong and independent in their own way. Both Deborah and Sheila have gone through divorces. Lisa's very, like, in charge of her own sexuality. So these aren't just women. These are strong, independent women that yeah. Colt definitely has an issue with. But I think... Oh, yeah, he can't stand <laughs> that they're better than him. <laughs> he cannot. Um, but I think what's really cool with this movie that it acknowledges um, that we don't, you know, always talk about, but women really do kind of band together and we carry each other's traumas on our shoulders. Like, Deborah and Sheila, again, bond over, you know, divorcing husbands and the pain of going through that. And that's, I think, what's really cool about this movie, broadening it up to not just be about one woman, because then it, be it does become this conversation about, you know, societally, what do women deal with? And I think that the, the point... I think when they really drive that point home is when Sheila treats Lisa at the free clinic. Because Lisa's like, you know, she's got that hard exterior. She's really trying to pass off the fact that, you know, she was she was abused, she was raped. Uh, she does say that Colt... She, she considers Sheila uh, an elite, probably, is what she would call her today. <laughs> yeah, she does. She very much feels like Sheila... And she makes it like, oh, you're slumming it. She makes a comment, oh, you want to see how the other side is. Yeah. And Sheila basically says back, there is no other side. And that's the reality with these women issues there is no other side all of women like from you know whatever different station and what have you they all have to deal with that and i think that's really cool that this movie does it i don't they miss a point sometimes with it but like that's why i love this movie that's the the one of the things that i really like about this movie is it not only gets that this shit happens but it happens to all women. We all have right. fucking stories, and it sucks. Yeah, and I think another cool thing that it does, too, is, you know, not just talking about the the abuse of women, but also mm -hmm. talking about just, like, the standards that they're held to throughout the movie. And, and this, this is a more kind of subtle one with it, because uh, obviously, you know, the other stuff is <laughs> very much... It's very prominent. <laughs> very much in, in front of the camera. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but they also talk about, you know, the standards women are held to as well and how they're kind of held to different standards because, you know, I think one of the first things that happens with Deb is when when Sheila is, like, with her in the hospital room and, and saying, you know, that she doesn't look that bad or, or whatever, you know, after the attack. And, you know, Deb basically says, yeah, I guess I don't, but why should I? as in as, as far as looking fine yeah you know she says why should i and it's basically just a comment on like i don't need to look good <laughs> you know like she she's trying to say like i don't need i just got attacked i don't yeah. need to look fucking beautiful yeah, you know i just fell out uh, a goddamn dumb waiter <laughs> exactly like i just my ass just fucking crashed out of a dumb waiter <laughs> i don't need to look pristine and like i'm ready to go in front of the camera you know mm -hmm. And, and that happens later on, too, in another subtle way where the show that Colt's uh, landlord, I think, is watching. And it, it, there's, a, there's a line from the show where a guy says, uh, a woman must always look her best at all times. You know? <laughs> and, and, like, you can't, you can't tell me that that's just a throwaway line. Like, yeah. of course they chose that to be in the movie, right? And mm -hmm. so, so I do think that there's also this issue of the sort of double standard kind of going on as, like, you know, not only – are women being told, like, shut up and don't say anything <laughs> and we don't care, you know, and all that stuff. 
but they're also being told like, oh, and by the way, you got to fucking look pretty all the time. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise get out of society or something, you know, like go, go live under a troll or under a bridge, you troll. Like, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I just, I, I really love that that's included as well. Cause again, especially for male filmmakers, this is not something that like is talked about a lot no. in the eighties. <laughs> well, and the, that's the thing that I'm I'm really liking about this screenwriter. The more that you're telling me about him, is the fact that he does the thing that that's all we're asking for for writers and directors. He listens to the women who he's making the movie with, you know, and he brings their shit into it, and that really does give this movie some sense of authenticity that's sometimes yeah. missing in other films. Right. And who doesn't listen to the women is Cole. <laughs> A.K.A. Michael Ironside. So, fucking whiny so bitch boy. <laughs> he is a fucking whiny bitch boy. And, and something I wanted to touch on really quick before I forget, because you mentioned it, is that is the fact that Cole doesn't talk much. Mm-hmm. And why I found that kind of interesting is like, okay, first of all, for those of you that want to say that it's a ripoff of Halloween 2, which, I mean, again... No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not even Watch close. the movie. <laughs> it's not even close. I mean, the only similarity is that a guy's killing people in a hospital. Like it, mm-hmm. Halloween Two is not the only movie. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't reserve the right to be the only film where people die in hospitals. So. Nope. Every hospital uh, movie now is a ripoff of Halloween Two, even the I, ones that came before it, and even the ones that have nothing to do with a serial killer. Um. So. So. But anyway. You know, the thing that I find kind of – and so you could say, like, oh, Cole doesn't talk because, you know, he's like Michael Myers. And no, that's no. not the case. But the reason I think Cole doesn't talk in this is because you you find out that, that Cole, like, basically frames all of these letters, these, like, racist, <laughs> misogynistic letters. That he writes. That, that he's written to people, you know, and apparently not sent. And, and, and the thing that I found – first of all, I found that so funny – because I feel like this movie is almost ahead of its time in a way, because that sh- that sort of shit just reminded me of like internet trolls yes. who like jerk off to their own shit posts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they like they post shit online, like we're supposed to give a fuck that they're so racist or whatever, mm-hmm. and we're just like fuck off, idiot. You yeah. know, like like you know. But he reminded me of an internet troll. Like if <laughs> if the internet was around in 1982. I think Colt would have spent less time killing and more time on the internet. He would totally would have been on 4chan. <laughs> right. He, he'd, he'd be a fucking troll on Twitter. He would be Elon Musk if he had money, you know? <laughs> uh, just spending his entire day just trolling people on Twitter and doing nothing useful with his life. Oh, absolutely. And, and anyway, so why I think he doesn't actually really say much is the interesting thing is because, you know, Cole, towards the end of the movie, he has that line to Deb. Where he's like, you're going to listen to me now. You're going to listen to me and listen to what I have to say or whatever. And I get the sense that Cole is exactly like the dude bros today. Oh, absolutely. That that (laughs) think they're like being silent somehow. Mm -hmm. And it's like, motherfucker, you're on national TV. Like, I'm talking to everybody in the world. (laughs) You're not being silenced, you dumb shit. But but he reminds me of the men that think like that, mm-hmm. that they're being silent somehow just because they can't say horribly sexist, offensive things anymore in public. And and anyway, so he so him not talking to me is just resonant of the fact that he doesn't have anything to say. Yeah. You know, that's the thing is like he's basically this fucking shit crybaby motherfucker <laughs> who <laughs> who's like all upset that women are, you know, more dominant or whatever in his life. And and he, he feels like he has a voice that has to be heard. And I feel like the whole point of the movie is, dude, you don't have anything to say that's important. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I definitely agree with you. And I think, 
Like, I've been thinking about it, um, you know, during this episode. I think that this movie is very much 100% Colt's viewpoint. You oh, know? yeah. Yeah, because we get so many of those, like, creepy... Well, we follow him more than anybody else in the movie. Yeah, and there's the creepy stalkery shots of all the women going through their houses. We don't spend a lot of time, like, really with their points of view of it. It's right. all Colt. And so I very much agree with you. He's definitely one of those gross dude bros that thinks by him having to share the stage... It means that he's being silenced. And I think that we get that with the line between him and Lisa, where Lisa points out how much of a goddamn, like, anti-Semitic, racist, misogynistic piece of shit that he is. Yeah, and I mean, Lisa's not perfect because she kind of nods her head like, yeah, cool, man. You know, it's weird because, like... I mean, she's still going to sleep with him despite reading his letters. Well, and that's where I think we get the slightly unreliable narrator shit with Colt because every woman wants to fuck Colt. And here's my thing. That's true, yeah. Like, Michael Ironside is not a bad-looking man, I guess. He's not my type. But no way every fucking woman wants to fuck him. I mean, I, I mean, I disagree. I mean, Michael Ironside is very, you know... He, I, th- I, think no. the, I, I think the thing with him is he has... Like, if you're into the masculine look, mm-hmm. Michael Ironside has a very masculine look in a sense. Like, there's just something about him that is very, like, powerful. <laughs> yeah, I, and, I agree and, with and, you. Th- and that's a turn on for some people, you know? Like, there, there's just something about Ironside that's like, yeah, no, he could he could do whatever he wants to be. <laughs> oh, I don't disagree with you, which is why I think he does a good job in this role. But I think it's also this thing that, like, his cult, like, you know, character sort of a thing... This is not a knock at Michael no. Ironside, but it's that thing when I look at him sometimes that I almost feel like I have to be worried that something like no. Colt's going to come no. out of his mouth. <laughs> well, fair <laughs> enough. But no, the, the, the thing with – I think you're right, though, is that like if you do look at this movie as kind of more his point of view, mm-hmm. he is an unreliable narrator because he's fucking psychotic. Yep. And, and you do – you're right. Like every woman in the movie that encounters him other than Deb and Sheila – they they all have want to fuck him like nothing else. Right. They they want to bone his brains out, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> and that and that do, and that would be the mindset of someone like him who mm-hmm. thinks that he's like God's gift to women, right? And yeah. they're all just going to fawn over him or whatever. And and the reality is not that. So mm-hmm. I, I can definitely agree with you that this is probably very much from his point of view. So yeah. Well, and it's um, what I think is really interesting about Colt as a character that, like, I don't wish we delved into more, but I like the fact that it's brought up, is that Colt's trauma that kind of gets triggered by all of this, I guess, in a way, if we want to frame it like that, is the fact that his mom was a battered wife. Like, his mom was a battered wife, and she fought back by throwing a pot of fucking hot oil in his douchebag dad's face. Goddamn right she did. Yeah, and then she (laughs) bolted. And I think it's really interesting that Colt, as a character, is someone who is a boy who saw that happening to his mom and chose to take his dad's side with, with this. And especially when we see the interactions between Colt's dad and him. They are not normal. They're <laughs> not okay. He's getting like waterboarded with a beer can, and then his dad's touching him everywhere. That's yeah. not to say that dads can't play with their kids, but the tone of this movie is well. Well, I mean, the way that it's framed in the movie is very much like not normal. Unreliable <laughs> narrator not wanting to admit the trauma that happened to him at his dad's hand. Right, and I mean, I I think it goes further than that, you know, and and I don't want to say that this is. What I'm about to say is not true of reality, mm-hmm. but but something that 
the 80s films in particular had a problem with in portrayal with queer people is that you know the 80s was really bad about portraying queer characters as serial killers Mm -hmm. you know like as people who because they were you know confused about their sexuality or not sure about it that made them like insane you know and and like the 80s is a terrible track record with that like we talked about that with New Year's Evil, mm-hmm. uh, Dress to Kill is another example, you know. Good movies or fun movies, but but very bad representation, you know. Yeah. And and I I'm not sure that this is the intention here, but I do get the sense also that you know Cole is perhaps sexually repressed in the sense Agreed. that I, I'm not saying that he's gay, but there's definitely a sense that. He might not really know. He's got and, so much shit going on that he refuses to sort and acknowledge. Well, well, because you have the whole thing with with Lisa, you know, where she later says that he bit the shit out of her because he basically couldn't get it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and you know, I have to imagine like, well, that's probably maybe you're just not into women, man. Yeah. You know, like, and and for a character like Cole, who's you know believes in. You know, he has this whole, like... Superiority of men. The superiority of men and this whole thing against women. And he, he's very, like, uh, you know, misogynistic and, and believes in the idea of, like, masculinity and men mm-hmm. rule and all that kind of stuff. He, he's very much the type of dude who I think would have trouble admitting that, you know, maybe his sexual preference wasn't women, right? I and mean, so could not be women. He could be ace. I mean, it could it could be yeah. anything. You know, I'm not saying he's gay specifically, but it could be anything other than purely straight, right? Yeah. And and so so you know, bad portrayal mm-hmm. for an '80s film to say that oh well that makes him a serial killer. But I do think that the movie's hinting at that being a possibility. Yeah. Uh, because he also has other moments too, like when he first attacks Deb, he's like wearing all of her jewelry for some reason. Mm-hmm. You know? He's done his makeup. He's done his makeup. Uh, it's the only time he does that. His knife is basically his dick because oh, he can't the, use his actual dick. The <laughs> knives are so big in this movie. Oh, they're they're like fucking Michael Myers butcher knife size and maybe even a little bit bigger than I that. I would argue that they're bigger <laughs> than Michael Myers. Uh, like Cole has the biggest goddamn switchblade I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Like I don't even think they make them that big. <laughs> and he does that during the rape scene with Lisa, you know, where it's basically like his knife is the thing that he's... You know, using guy, to touch in her. Using the toucher. Uh, it's the only thing that's hard <laughs> in that situation. <laughs> exactly. That's the only thing that's really made of steel. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, so I feel he, he's certainly compensating at the very least. I mean, yeah. the dude's got to have a tiny penis, right? <laughs> I mean, definitely. And look, like, I've unfortunately been on the, the receiving end of a dude who's been pissed off because he couldn't get it up. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, college boyfriends. They're great. <laughs> um, but so, like, a character like Colt, for whatever reason, if he's having trouble getting it, like, being attracted to women, yeah, he might take it out on women because he's not right. <laughs> Well, right, and again, bad portrayal, but yes, that is what's yeah. going on here in the movie, I think. Oh, and, and I also really quick want to mention going back to the fact that with the pacing of the movie, mm-hmm. because I, I do think that the pacing is kind of the killer of the movie, you know? I, I think that when they told Tagger to, to scare them every seven minutes, mm-hmm. they also should have told them, oh, and, you know, also make it compelling. And <laughs> and I'm not saying that it's not. There are The, the movie is certainly compelling in a way, but... Um, but I do have an issue with the fact that Colt goes back and forth, not just once, not twice, but three times. He has to go back to the hospital and fucks up every single time. And I mean, that's on point for Colt. Well, and see, this is the thing is like, you know, 
as as a film watcher, mm-hmm. it's frustrating because you're like, this is really, really <laughs> interrupting the tension. You know, I mean, imagine if the movie had just been set in one night. Mm-hmm. Like, that's definitely more exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do also wonder if there's an intent in that because it also sort of kind of shows how men like cult, these misogynistic motherfuckers who think that they're God's gift to the world, uh, tend to be fuck-ups, you know? Yeah. Like, they tend to be kind of dumb pieces of shit. So. Well, not only that, but I think while it fucks up with the pacing, I think that it points out another thing that I really kind of like, especially with us setting the whole thing in the hospital, is that despite the fact that not only does he fuck up, but he murders people every time he goes. Yeah. And despite him doing so many, so many people are <laughs> there's, collateral there's damage. So much collateral damage in this film, but you know, despite that, it's really showing also how easily it is for ostensibly a cis white dude to just ostensibly travel unknown throughout these halls and, of a place that's supposed to be safe. And, and that is another good point, you know, is that mm-hmm. by him going back again and again and again, mm-hmm. it does establish that. He has been there twice already, and they still can't fucking stop him from getting to her because he's a white dude who's allowed to just, like you say, traverse wherever he wants. <laughs> exactly. He's a florist one time, then he's part of the security team, and then like, he's a goddamn like, doctor. Like, do, have they not looked at the fucking security cameras <laughs> and just put up posters of, like, maybe don't let this person into the hospital? I know? mean, I guess it's the 80s, and maybe they don't really have security cameras. But they do have security <laughs> cameras. <laughs> like, well, then they're just a shitty hospital. I mean, well, and this also, I think, is a good is a good way to speak to, you know, basically the authority in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And just kind of the system that we have in place to help women in the sense that it doesn't it, really exist. It's and, shit. And, 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 you know, okay, ma- yes, it exists maybe, but it's yeah. garbage. Yes. Like, you know, because we do see, like, authority consistently fail Deb. Yeah. And the other women. Like, you know, there's the whole scene uh, where Sheila is trying to – you know, basically explain to the cop that, like, the killer's at my house. Like, mm-hmm. she's she's flat out telling him, like, he's at my house. Yeah. And the cop has the audacity to be like, Ex- exp- you're not you're not I, explaining it. You I know? don't understand it's what a- you're saying. I'm on I'm on duty. I can't I can't <laughs> go. Well, well, it's just like motherfucker. She said she said the killer's at her house. Like, what do you need her to explain? <laughs> like, are you just fucking so stupid that you can't understand what the words that are coming out of her mouth? You know, like. Well, not only that, she got passed off from one dude to another. A dude just pushing off a quote unquote hysterical woman, so right. that he doesn't have to deal with that shit. And that's you know, I think that's part of. There's a lot of like brilliant things. I think the, the woman who was <laughs> murdered, the first woman murdered in the hospital, uh-huh. isn't even big enough news that Deb hears about it. Yes, you know? it's and, just swept under the rug. She's rich, so her relatives offed her. Right, the hospital just sweeps it under the rug like it's no big deal, even though they know Deb was sent there because <laughs> someone attacked her, and the woman who had her exact room was murdered. You know, you, like come on, people, put the pieces together. Well, and I think that's again. Like, this whole movie is about the fact that society doesn't listen to women about their traumas or what they're going to or being in danger. And, you know, that's a real-life thing that comes up with hospitals and doctors is, you know, doctors have a tendency to just write off women, not listen to them, not believe them, all that kind of stuff. So while this movie is talking about, like, you know, trauma to women, they're also very specifically talking about the shit that women have to go through in hospitals right which is ridiculous because it's like 90 percent women there's so many nurses in her corner and still no one listens to her right the uh the the demon baby genre (laughs) as i (laughs) 
as I as I like to call it, uh, is really good about calling this out. You know, in particular, where uh, a lot of those movies like um, you know the Unborn and stuff like that, mm-hmm. there these pregnancy horror movies are always about women not being listened to and mm-hmm. and male doctors just being like oh no it's fine your your baby's supposed to make you crave raw steaks you know like they you know like they, it's always something like that where they're just mm-hmm. not listening to shit that is really fucking weird you know mm-hmm. and, and and it's why i think the hospital setting does work really well for this because like you said you know it, it's it's another establishment where women aren't really listened to mm-hmm. i think also uh, a lot of films have done a lot of horror films have done a good job of pointing out the fact that you know, hospitals are, in a sense, male-dominated because mm-hmm. it's mostly male doctors, or at least it was at one time, you know. Mostly male doctors, mostly run by men with, you know, women serving in the, the under nurse. underneath, yeah. you know, in the nurse roles. Um, which is another thing throughout the movie is that almost every position of a woman in the film is someone who is working underneath someone. Yeah. You know, like, there are very few women who are, like, in charge of anything. Pretty much Deb's um, one of the few people who has any amount of control. And even she, she works for She's one for of the Gary. few, and even she works for William Shatner because yeah. he's her boss, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so no, so, but there, so there's all of that and the idea that, like, a hospital, in a sense, is just not safe for women because mm-hmm. it's male-dominated. But also the fact, too, that... You know, I I love that it's set here because we have all of these moments where Deb is being attacked or like running through the hallways, like the third the third act in particular, where somehow again where it's, Colt's it's, just off it's the rails. Col- it's Colt's third time coming back to this fucking hospital, and the cops still aren't competent enough to stop him. <laughs> And, and he manages to, you know, like, get her down into the basement of this hospital and is chasing her through hallways and whatever. And basically, at any point in this movie in the hospital, you know, there, there's no one listening to Deb. Mm-hmm. Whenever he attacks her, there's no one to help Deb. Yep. <laughs> and the third act in particular, she is literally running through a fucking hospital that at the moment is actually crowded with people because of the attacks. There's like and 30 there's, cops! And there is still no one around to hear her. And I think that that hits home heavy as the theme of the movie, you know, of just like women not being listened to. Yeah, the isolation. Um, be- because, yeah, they're, they're literally in a fucking hospital crowded with cops. <laughs> and Cole is still chasing her un- uninterrupted <laughs> by anybody. <laughs> like a fucking madman. <laughs> He's just dropping from fucking pipes. Dropping from fucking pipes, which, by the way, was one of the seven-minute scares that Brian <laughs> introduced. <laughs> like, I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we've talked about the fact that this is a movie that's primarily made up of female cast and stuff like that. And I think with the hospital stuff... You know, it's cementing the fact that it's not safe, women aren't listened to, but it's also talking about the fact that even though women want to help each other, they're bound by these societal rules that don't let them go outside of certain boundaries. Hmm. Because she's never dealing with doctors not listening to her. She's dealing with nurses who are forced to, you know, put the societal pressure on her as well, which I think is an interesting commentary. But, like... One thing I have to say is, like, this whole movie, for me at least, is a little bit about, like, sisterhood and trauma a little bit. Because you get that with the fact that both Deborah and Lisa and Sheila are well, all... They've all been through it. Yeah, they've yeah. all been through it at the hands of the same person. And I think it's a fucking travesty that the <laughs> ending is not the three of them beating the shit out of Colt. Well, 
Well, look, I mean, this is th- this is one of the things that maybe would be different ha- had a woman made it right, or, yeah. or had it been made today, is that you will probably would have had all three women like kick the, the shit, out, shit of out of it. Like, like if you've ever seen Death Proof, I that's yes. the, that's the sort of ending that I like to imagine yep. <laughs> for visiting hours, where all three of them just kick him in the balls. You know, yeah, that's the update um, we need. Like, like I get it. You know, Sheila's in a hospital bed. But Lisa is unaccounted for. In she's the third. there. She's there somewhere, and she is unaccounted for in the third act. And she really needed to just show up and give like one final kick to Colt in the balls. Bite <laughs> him. He, bite his fucking jugular. Right, just one final kick, you know, and be like, "You fucking tiny dick, motherfucker!" <laughs> like, <laughs> or no, yeah, just just go out on a line of like, "You got a small dick." <laughs> so, so that that really needed to happen, mm-hmm. but. But the thing that is, you know, actually being said by the movie and interesting here, too, is that so so you mentioned that Colt uh, takes all these pictures of women while they're dying and he's like making some kind of, you know, death fucking mask, fucking dorky ass death mask <laughs> in his closet. Fucking nerd. nerd. I did that <laughs> shit in high school. Right. You fucking collage making little piece of shit yeah. nerd. You Wait, know? I want to clarify. I didn't murder people, but I did do death <laughs> photography like <laughs> ginger snaps. Well, yeah, good. Uh, good to know. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't want to end up on a death mask anytime soon. Uh, but so, so he's making this fucking death mask of women that have died that he takes pictures of, um, which also must be a really expensive hobby. I yeah. mean, again, this is 1982. I don't think you know we didn't have like the fucking. I don't think we had the Kodak cameras yet that were cheap to buy that you just no. <laughs> took little pictures on. You know, so he. So he's, he's putting some money into this hobby. He's got a legit <laughs> camera. He's got to get all that film developed. It's not digital. You can't just get rid of the shitty shots. He's got to develop all that shit. Right, exactly. He's got to make sure that it's, like, not blurry and shit. Mm-hmm. You know, he should have gone into photography. He's like, <laughs> yeah. To be able to take such good photos in the midst of murder, you know, it's a good, it's a good photographer. Um, anyway, so the, the film, again, where it has been through his POV most of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we see that with him taking the photos of the women and their dying faces. That's Cole's – That I keep calling him Cole. That's <laughs> Colt's point of view of, of them dying. And the reason that that's included is because a person like Colt takes power in that. Yeah. You know, he takes power in basically being alive while watching them die, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he feels powerful because he's, again – a fucking cowardly small dick dude <laughs> who needs to feel powerful because he doesn't in his everyday life. Yeah. <laughs> and what I love about the final shot of the movie is that we now get a point of view of Colt's death face mm-hmm. and the camera freezes on that and holds over the credits the same way that he's been taking photos of them. And why I love that is it's the film basically saying, okay, now it's your turn audience you get the power in seeing this piece of shit die. <laughs> I I like I like that that's what you take from the ending. Yeah. Um cuz that's a really cool take. For me, I I really like um they do the traditional jump scare. He's not dead yet. He reaches out and he grabs Deb, Deb's ankle. But what I like the fact that this movie does is the fact that we don't see Deb's reaction. Like we just see him grab the ankle and then she Well, because it's very pathetic. She yeah. doesn't even really jumps she just kind of kicks him off her and walks away she doesn't even kick him off she just walks away and i think that's the real thing and that's like the strength of the women in this film is Mm. the fact that shit horrible shit happens to them and then 
they have to just walk away. It's not like it's, it's really leaving them, but they have to keep moving forward. And I think that that's really cool. But then the next scene is all of the press cameras. And that's a weird reminder to like what you're saying with Colton and his photography. That is press taking pictures of these women at their well, worst moments <coughs> and profiting off of their trauma. Well, right. And, th- and this is what I'm saying with it is that from that perspective, from society's perspective, mm-hmm. you know, that view of women is profitable. Yep. And, and, you know, going back to fucking Ebert, you know, <laughs> like that, that was one of his big complaints about horror is that he thought that horror profited off violence against women you know Mm -hmm. i disagree vehemently with him but you know if you wanted to be like ebert and make Mm -hmm. that argument i mean you certainly have examples that you could right yeah and so again what i i I, that is what i love about the ending is that for the first time or or in a rare instance we really take the power from a man dying because we're really focused on his face you Mm -hmm. know he's the one being photographed now in this freeze frame that we just get to stare at and be like, yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. You got what was coming to you, you know? (laughs) Um, Like we get to feel powerful the way that he has felt powerful throughout the Mm -hmm. movie. Well, I I also love the fact that he dies alone. Like the women are still getting the attention ostensibly in his argument. They're still allowed to talk and getting attention about their shit. And he's in the goddamn basement. Nobody even fucking knows. Right. Only (laughs) us as the audience knows that this shithead's dying in the basement. It just reminds me of the shot where he's like, cowering basically in the basement all surrounded by the sheets and just mm-hmm. like sweating like a little baby you know just like, <laughs> he's just i mean that and that's again what's great about the movie he's just yeah. a pathetic little baby yeah he's a pathetic little bitch uh, <laughs> a little bitch um for those of you that did not want to hear us talk about misogyny for an entire hour i'm sorry but look that's what the movie's that's about, what the movie's so. about. <laughs> kind of kind of hard not to talk about it so much yep. um all right so we do have to start wrapping up though so who is your killer idiot of visiting hours so for me, that's that's fucking Gary. Gary's a fucking Gary? idiot. Why Gary? I mean, Gary's not the brightest, but I don't he, know if he's the dumbest. So he's, I feel like he's the dumbest because just his level of like shittiness to Deborah. But for the most part, my whole thing is his not wanting to run Deborah's piece originally. Like, because look, my dude. <laughs> That piece is going to make you so much money. It's going to, like, endear you to all your female fan base that's watching this show. Well, There's nothing but profit <coughs> here, you fucking numb nuts. He, well, I mean, he's like one of those guys who, at you know, in the 80s thought, like, well, women don't watch horror movies, you know? Oh. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's not even women don't watch horror films. It's just, I think that for some reason men like that just don't think women do every, anything. We sit in the <laughs> kitchen and we cook. No, no, no. And, we, all... and we drink pumpkin spice lattes. Go to I yoga. Mean, I mean, pumpkin spice lattes are delicious. So that is so angry. I would be I would be okay if I could drink that every day, but I can't because thank you, high blood sugar. So <laughs> Matt's so upset that he can't live vicariously through me because I hate pumpkin spice. Because you're a monster, yep. um, who doesn't know how to do October properly. So, <gasps> uh, so my killer That's idiot. Divorcing words. That was not better not be. <laughs> Make you drink a pumpkin spice latte right now. Anyway, so. My killer idiot is Colt. Yeah. Because he's a misogynist idiot. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> I consider anybody who thinks like Colt to be a fucking moron. But yeah. um, but also because, I mean, come on, dude. Like, what kind of serial killer are you? He's terrible. You know, Michael, Michael Myers would have had no problem <laughs> getting Deb in the first night. Or, or at least, if not getting Deb, 
getting close to getting them the first night. You can't even do that. No, he goes into <laughs> the wrong room and murders an old lady. Right, you went into the wrong room and mur- murdered an old lady, and then you had to come back twice. Yep. You suck at your job. <laughs> your shit together. Or your, not your job, your hobby. You're yep. a terrible hobbyist. Uh, what about your killer death? I don't know. None of the deaths for me really stand out, but I'm going to go with the dude who gets literally ball gagged and then stabbed. Because he gets literally ball gagged. No, I I hate that one because he's such a nice guy. He is a nice guy, but I... You're kind of, you know, you spend that whole moment like, why are you killing him? Did why it, is he killing anyone? Are you are you upset that you can't grow as cool of a mustache? Like, I mean, that's a fair <laughs> thing to be upset about. That's a great mustache. Yeah. Um, it's hard for a man to grow a mustache and just the mustache and look good with it. <laughs> it's very hard for it to not look like a porn stash. Exactly. So, which isn't to say that his didn't, but like a good porn stash. Yeah, a good anyway, porn stash. No, my killer death is called again because, <laughs> it, because yeah. I agree with you. A lot, you know, a lot of deaths don't really stand out yeah. necessarily in the movie. Oh, well, maybe the dude it, he gets thrown through a window, but I don't know if he dies. I mean, I have to assume he's dead. It looks like he probably got some class in him, but... <laughs> you don't die from getting thrown through a window. Have you ever been thrown through a window? Not yet. No. <laughs> well, if you keep talking <laughs> shit about pumpkin spice lattes, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Not from me, of course, but from someone who disagrees with you. <laughs> but, uh, no, I... Yeah, no, for me, it's cold just because it's satisfying to watch him get what's coming to him. <laughs> Would have been better if all three women beat the shit out of him. Listen, if, if, if Lisa had... Kicked him in the balls and caused him to stumble into Deb's into Deb stabbing him with a knife, and then Sheila walking over on crutches because she's been stabbed <laughs> and pushing him one final time into the blade. That would have been great. That would have been amazing. Perfect. Uh, that would have been an award-winning ending <laughs> for whoever's doing the for whoever's doing the reboot of this movie. This is the ending we want. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, what about your killer MVP? Well, so it was originally going to be Michael Ironside for his fucking little gremlin run, which I love. <laughs> um, he but does have a gremlin he, run. He does. Matt knows this. I have a very intense fondness for gremlin runs. Usually it's with women. You have to be all hunched over and look horrible, and I love it. But Michael Ironside has this great gremlin run where he kind of, like, flails his arms a little bit. But I think it's also because I think, if I remember right, he sprained his ankle on day one of shooting. So all of his limping is real. He did, actually. I think he broke his ankle day one. Yep. And so that limping is, yes, in fact, real. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he does not win for his gremlin run. Um, this now goes to Lee Grant because of what you've talked about during the episode. Just the fact that she was so influenced the movie so much to give this give us this kind of really cool feminist horror film um you know i have to give it up to her because that's amazing they did a great job because you know team screenwriter gets points too even though i still can't remember his name (laughs) brian taggart (laughs) brian taggart gets points too because he listened to her um but since she was the driving force she gets the award no i think that's a fair point i mean she definitely does deserve a ton of credit for what the movie is because Mm -hmm. i mean look the, the best part of the movie i think is what it's trying to say yes you know like it it it's very strong on that yeah. it doesn't work quite as well as a slasher but it is very strong on its message so yeah. that michael ironside's gremlin run and michael ironside's gremlin which which is you know of course i'm a michael ironside stand so of course yeah. he's my pick just because I, I well i just think that michael ironside is so good at playing this kind of character i yes. mean look he's a great villain which is why he's been cast a lot as a villain yeah he's fucking he, creepy as balls he's very creepy and it's not even like i mean the thing the thing that impresses me so much about him is that he's creepy even when he's not the the focus of the frame mm-hmm. you know i mean like you have uh the shot where sheila 
at one point in the hospital is, you know, on the phone, I think, and her back is to him, and she's, like, talking about, you know, how she would cage the person that did this to them and, like, feed them raw meat. Mm -hmm. And you see him in the background, and just, like, he just had, like, even his eyebrows, just the way his eyes are, like, you know, looking at her and his eyebrows and the way that they're crooked, you know, like, it... They are so menacing. Yeah, he's just fucking that, real creep. That you can feel like that that frightening power of his just from the background, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's just Michael Ironside. That's yeah. not that's not the character. That's just who he is as an actor, you know. So like, um, so no, I I think he brought a lot to the movie, and especially mm-hmm. being a major focus of it. Uh, I, I don't think it'd be the same without him, especially if they had cast <laughs> William, William Shatner instead. I mean, look, no disrespect to Shatner, I, I cannot see this being the same movie. No, it'd be fucking hilarious. Shat- this is how you get the comedy. Th- this would have been a horror comedy if Shatner yeah. had been the villain. So. There's one thing I brought, I forgot to bri- bring up in the episode of why Colt is a little bitch boy, and that's because this motherfucker drinks vanilla milkshakes. Yeah, I mean, no disrespect to anyone that drinks vanilla milkshake, but if but you're going to drink a milkshake... Why I mean, the fuck is it vanilla? Get, get any other flavor. They're, they all involve vanilla. Like, they all start as vanilla before yes. other flavors are added to them. I'm so. heavily <laughs> judging the vanilla milkshake drinkers. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, me too. You know, at least get the fucking mint chocolate shake. Yeah. <laughs> um, fucking bitch boy. Fucking bitch boy. Uh, I mean, I guess it's better than him drinking just straight up milk, but... <laughs> um, but But anyway, so yeah, so... Every week on Twitter, uh, we always put up a poll at Killer Critics, getting your thoughts and feelings and what you think of the film. You know, while Twitter still exists. Thank you, Elon Musk. Uh, <laughs> and, and so uh, between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think the audience fell on visiting hours? So admittedly, I have to say I cheated this week, not intentionally. What? You don't even use Twitter. <laughs> I don't, but somebody asked me what movies we were doing this week, and I had to look up on the Twitter to remember what the third one was. You're a monster. Um, but before I cheated, my thought process was that it was going to be It's Fine. Okay. Well, at least you can <laughs> tell me what the original answer was. Uh, so yeah, no, It's Fine did not win. Um, yeah. So Love It got 8.9%. It's Fine got 20%. Don't Like It got 0%, and Never Seen It got a whopping 71.1%. So I can't say that I'm horribly surprised by the results, because It's Fine is where I thought that it would be. Yeah. Um, And, and I also expect not a lot of people have seen this, because mm-hmm. it is kind of one of Ironside's lesser-known mm-hmm. roles. Um, but I do have to say, I'm a little surprised by a 71%. Right? It's got <laughs> Shatner and Ironside, people. Come on. Right. Two two big actors in it. I mean, I remember renting Visiting Hours when I was on my mm-hmm. Michael Ironside tirade of just like going through everything he'd ever done. Um, so so if you're a fan of his, I mean, yeah, you got to yeah. watch this movie at least. Well, and that the fact that everybody's liking it to Halloween, too. Like, I know we watch a lot of films because, like, the Italian knockoffs and stuff like that. So it's just between those three factors, why haven't more people seen this film? Yeah, I mean, it is definitely more obscure now. But, yeah. hey, you know, Screen Factory put out a disc for it. You should go check it out. So anyway, yeah. so we always get comments from you all as well. And, and these are all from Twitter. And because Never Seen It was so large, <laughs> we only have a couple, but so... <laughs> First up is from at Super Marcy, so that's Super M-A-R-C-E-Y, and this is my friend Marcy, who has multiple podcasts, you should go check her out, Uh, but she says, Michael Ironside owns the film, it's not a bad film, but it is all the better because of him and his performance, plus the cover art is bloody excellent. Absolutely agree. I think if anybody else had been cast in the the cult role, it just wouldn't have been as strong, and you needed that creepy dude who could really project 
shitty, I think I'm an alpha male bitch boy attitude. And he does it yeah. wonderfully. Definitely. And I already <laughs> said my piece on Ironside, so I will just add, yes, I do think that the poster art for this film is awesome. I love the giant skull made out of lights from the hospital. You know, very cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you at Super Marcy for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, and then lastly is a comment from at United Rhinos 72. So that's United Rhinos 72. And they say, I used to see the skull made out of lights staring out at me in the local video store all the time. I was about nine when it came out. And when I eventually watched it, scared me a bit. Not seen it for many years, though. It's definitely worth a revisit, I think. But I totally, I feel like this is a movie that us of the blockbuster era would also be drawn to because that cover art's so cool. I do. I know I've said this a lot on this podcast, and I always feel like it ages me. It makes me sound like a fucking boomer to, you know, the Gen Z, which thank you, by the way, Gen Z, for not making uh, this midterm election horrible for the Democrats and just bad. <laughs> but no, I, you know, I, 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 I cherish those memories of like the mm-hmm. movies that I used to walk through, you know, the Blockbuster or like the mom and pop video store. Because it, to me, it was different, like holding, actually holding the thing in my hands and looking at the fucking cover of it. You know, than like streaming through on Netflix or something and seeing whatever dumbass crap Netflix decides to use as the thumbnail for the movie. You know, I mean, for for like Halloween too. Instead of the poster, they probably have like you know a shot of like Laurie Strode laying in the hospital bed or something as the cover. Like, you know, so so it's a different experience, I think, because as a kid, especially like you were scared by these things. You know, you looked at those covers and were like, oh my god, I wonder what horrible horrors hide behind that box car that box art you know um look pinhead kept me out of the horror section as a kid because he freaks me out so oh, fucking much oh yeah no Hellraiser. The, the cover for hellraiser scared the shit out of me yeah. and that that was one of the few vh covers that really lived up to what the cover said like yes. that <laughs> that movie disturbed the hell out of me as a kid so and still does uh but anyways thank you at united rhino 72 for the comment appreciate it uh so really quick just releases for the week um First up is a film called Mandrake, which is on Shudder on the 10th. Uh, this is basically kind of like a folk horror sort of film that I don't really want to say too much about, other than it's about this woman who, you know, is basically interacting with this other woman who has kind of all these stories about her, like these scary stories that involve her with, like, kid murders and stuff. And she's basically just gotten out of prison, and, you know, the, the main character is kind of like her... I, I forget what you call it, but, like, the, the cop that has to, like, check on her or whatever. Parole uh, officer. The, her, basically her parole officer, and it, let's just say shit goes sideways. So <laughs> um, so I, ju- I just watched this today. It's uh, it's fine. You know, I, I liked it. It's a grim film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, not anything I'd write home about, but I enjoyed it enough. So if you're into the kind of current trend of, like, folk horror uh, movies, I would say you should check it out. But uh, another one is... All Jacked Up and Full of Worms, which is now on Screenbox. Uh, this one... <laughs> I, this one... Um, look, it's... It, it, it's terrible, <laughs> but but in a sort of way where it definitely has this kind of like underground, grindhouse really fucking weird <laughs> kind of atmosphere where it's about like these people that get high off of worms and like go fucking nuts from it. Um, the difference with it is, is that it's, it's so much trying to be funny and weird. Like it's trying more than in just being weird. It's trying too hard. And there, and there are a lot of things, uh, (laughs) 
there are some moments that I really, really, really don't like in it, like <laughs> like some sexual things done Ew. with like a baby doll oh, and that out. are that are just not that weren't for me. Um, <laughs> but they're but they're but you know if you're into these kind of like trippy, really fucking strange type of movies, then then yeah, I would say go ahead and check it out. You can read my review for this on KillerHorrorCrate.com. Uh, I believe I compared it to something like. I don't know, getting really fucking high and watching a rotten McDonald's burger, like, come up out of a dumpster and do, like, a sexy dance or something. Like, it's just... It's, All of that sounds terrible. Yeah, it's a very strange movie. Um, but so go check it out on Screenbox. And, uh, and then that's about it, honestly, for releases this week. So next week, we will be talking about the Japanese 2004 film Infection. What? Which is a great movie. If you've never seen it, definitely recommend checking it out. It is not streaming, unfortunately. But if you'd like to get ahead, do your homework, whatever. Uh, I, I think it's worth renting. I think it's a very creepy, atmospheric, effective Japanese horror film. So. Oh, definitely. It was one of my first Japanese horror films. Yeah. I'm very excited. One of mine as well. You know, aside from, like, The Rain and the Grudge and all that. Like, this is one of the earlier ones I caught. And, yeah, it disturbed me. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so check that out. And other than that, this is going to do it for us on Visiting Hours. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore horror underscore critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.